Hello, I am Audrey Team. Please stand for the reading of the word. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that the census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Cornelius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee and Judah, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her first son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel of the Lord said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. He, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Audrey, thank you for reading God's Word this morning. And Antonor and Phyllis, we welcome you back to Texas. We're so glad you're in Abilene with us this week. We love you guys. And to the chorus, oh my goodness, thank you so much for ushering us into the heart of God. Well, good morning, Highland. I'm, I'm humbled and honored to be with you today as we enter God's story together. Not many of you know this about me, but every time I stand before you on this platform, I silently whisper a particular breath prayer before I begin speaking. And today, I invite you to join me in that. So take a deep breath and let these words from my heart be in your soul. Your peace, Lord, I receive now. Continue praying with me. God, we've just taken a deep breath of your peace And we thank you for that blessing. As we celebrate the season of Advent, we wait for the birth of your son. We recognize his merciful love in our lives today. And we anticipate his second coming when you will restore all things. 
Pour through me the gift of preaching, showing us how we can live in hope and peace, shining your light in the world today. As the gathered church, we invite you to sit among us, and we ask that you welcome us into your presence as well. And the people of the church say, Amen. When I was growing up, my family had many holiday traditions that I loved. My sisters and I would bake cookies to share with decorated with lots of icing and sprinkles. We helped our mom make date loaf. Yuck, I was not a fan of the date loaf. <laughs> but we would argue among us about who was going to roll it up in the tea towel and put it on the back porch so it would stay cold. We made Christmas ornaments out of clay, styrofoam, glitter, sequins, and glue. And during our elementary years, my sister Sissy would carefully unwrap, then rewrap our presents, charging me a dollar not to reveal what I was getting for Christmas. I did not want to know, and I was willing to pay. These traditions were steeped in the anticipation of what was coming. We wondered, who would receive our cookies and date loaf? When would we get to put our handmade treasures on the Christmas tree? And what surprises would be waiting for us on Christmas morning? But you'll notice something missing from our holiday celebration, and that something is Advent. When I discovered the season and practice of Advent as an adult, a whole new world opened up for me, my family, and the children of this church. We learn new things together about waiting. Advent calls us to a quiet season of waiting. It happens in the darkest time of our year when the days are short and the nights are long. Sometimes it's easy to wait patiently with calm spirits, but other times the waiting is hard work. Other emotions often intrude like fear, sadness, frustration. And as a first grader recently whispered in teacher Dana's ear, sometimes we get mad when we have to wait. That's true. Advent is full of mystery. Right now, across the South Fourier, the three, four, and five-year-olds in his kids' worship are about to experience the light of peace as they journey to Bethlehem. Since I'm in here, there's a guest preacher in there, and he, she, She's about to light the candle of peace, lay a purple cloth on the floor, and tell the story. At least one child will be unable to help themselves from shouting out, It's the mystery of Jesus! And I'm pretty sure I could accurately predict the name of the child who will shout it out first. <laughs> Sometimes we need visual cues to get our attention. During Advent in his kids' ministry, that purple story underlay tells us to get ready for something mysterious and amazing. It's our cue to look carefully and listen closely for what God's about to do. During this season, we can intentionally choose to wait, live in the mystery, waiting for Jesus, acknowledging that darkness is part of light, letting the hope, peace, joy, and love of Advent change are how we experience Christmas. Advent teaches us how darkness and light peacefully coexist. A few years ago, one of my favorite preachers, Barbara Brown Taylor, wrote a book called Learning to Walk in the Dark. She challenges readers to reimagine their understanding of darkness, that darkness isn't always bad or evil and to be avoided. She asked this question, 
What can light possibly mean without dark? We're going to wonder about this question today. Last Sunday, Shane described Luke's story of the birth of Jesus as a grand musical with angels as God's messengers, the glory of the Lord surprising the shepherds, and a chorus sung by a heavenly host. Although I'd never thought about this story in quite that particular way, Luke's narrative captures my imagination and invites me to wonder about this story every single time I hear it. Listen to the words of biblical scholar Eugene Peterson. He said, One of the characteristic marks of the biblical storyteller is a certain reticence. There's an austere, spare quality to their stories. They don't tell us too much. They leave a lot of blanks in the narration, an implicit invitation to enter the story ourselves, just as we are, and discover for ourselves how we fit into it. From my perspective, this sermon would probably be better if I were surrounded up here by the children of our church. Not because I'm incapable of standing alone, but because they are the most excellent teachers on how to enter God's story. Kids are skilled at putting themselves right in the middle of what's happening. For them, it's not an ancient story, it's their story, a shared conversation between each other and God. They wonder about all kinds of things because as Peterson reminds us, we don't know all the details. Children have taught me to live in the questions and asking I wonder questions allows the biblical story to not only inform us, but to transform us. Living in the questions helps us step into the kingdom of heaven, messy as it can sometimes be. I'm going to borrow some powerful words of Jesus and invite you to become like children for the next few minutes. No matter how many times you've heard this story before, listen for something new. Wonder about where you fit in the story. Let our guiding question, what can light possibly mean without dark, draw us into the journey to Bethlehem. Mary's a young girl living in a small village in Galilee who suddenly becomes part of a story that she did not choose. The angel Gabriel appears to her and gives her a greeting and message from God. He announces that she's found favor with God and that the Lord is with her. Mary's troubled by his words and wonders why she's getting a visit from heaven. But Gabriel reassures her. Do not be afraid, Mary. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary's response to Gabriel always triggers a longing inside of my heart. She replies, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. Would I have had the courage to answer as she did? Would you have the courage to answer as she did? Let's see how Joseph responds to his own visit from an angel. He's confused by the turn of events when Mary reveals she's going to have a baby through the power of the Holy Spirit. Just imagine that awkward, hurtful conversation and knowing that their circumstances are soon going to be the talk of Nazareth. I wonder how she told Joseph. How did she find the words to explain this mysterious happening? Did she begin with Gabriel's declaration that nothing is impossible for God? Matthew tells us Joseph's story. 
This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The angel reminds Joseph that these things were happening to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah had spoken 700 years before. A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means Prince of Peace. As I've been dwelling in these Advent stories during the last few weeks, I've had to confront my own actions and attitudes, and it hasn't always been comfortable. Because if we allow it, this season of waiting challenges us to examine our own hearts. Through the years, circumstances have happened in my life that weren't always my choice. Probably almost all of you can say the same thing about your own lives. I haven't always been accepting and obedient when my life detoured from what I had hoped, dreamed, and planned. And yet, practicing Advent provides us space and time to sit in God's presence no matter what is happening. The light of hope and peace, if we let it, can create in us a longing for the courage to be honest before God. Advent calls us to recognize that our ordinary lives are sacred. Mary and Joseph were ordinary people who lived holy lives because they allowed the presence and peace of God to rule their hearts. Our story continues a few months later when Mary and Joseph are obligated to go to Bethlehem to take part in the census. Bethlehem was Joseph's ancestral home because of his lineage from King David, and they had to go pay taxes. The journey was long, the roads were rough, and it could have taken them anywhere from three to seven days to get to Bethlehem. Mary must have been uncomfortable, and I'm guessing it wasn't an easy journey for Joseph either. Imagine their dismay when they arrive and find there's no place for them to stay. They end up in a stable, which is probably a cave carved in the hillside, where Mary labors to give birth. Jesus, the light of the world, was born in the dark. Our West Texas skies are a thing of beauty. We don't have a lot of trees or tall buildings to obscure the skyline. And although I've never been, I imagine the Bethlehem countryside probably offers a similar view. As a child, I didn't live in Texas, but spent a good portion of every summer at my grandparents' cotton farm in far west Texas near the New Mexico border. I couldn't wait to get there each year because a whole world was before me that couldn't be experienced in the Ozarks of Missouri or later on in the Virginia suburbs of Washington, D.C. One thing decidedly different was how dark it was at night in Bovina, Texas. When my granddad turned off the lights, it was dark, the kind of dark where you can't even see your hand in front of your face. But if the stars were shining, then the nighttime sky was brilliant with the light of the moon, the big and little dippers, Venus, and hundreds and thousands of other stars and constellations. 
On clear summer nights, those stars seemed like we could just reach out and touch them. In one of my Advent devotionals this week, the author suggests we often use competitive language about light and darkness, assuming that since they're opposites, they must be at odds with one another. Remember Barbara Brown Taylor's question, what can light possibly mean without dark? Darkness has always existed with God. It's the foundation of creation. God spoke light into being and said, it was good. The light came out of the darkness, but it wasn't in competition with the darkness because God was in both. In John's gospel, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness doesn't overcome it. Taylor suggests that light doesn't necessarily win. There's simply not a fight to be had. God is in both. For many centuries, God's people understood darkness in a way that's hard for us to imagine. Their history from the beginning of time involved disobedient, banishment, war, captivity, slavery, wandering in the desert, the rule of evil leaders and kings, and on their story goes. They were waiting for the Messiah, for God's deliverance, and for God to fulfill the covenant with them. Each generation hoped they would be the ones to meet the promised Savior. Isaiah tells God's people, you're living in the dark, but have hope because light is coming. And that light is going to be a baby who will be your Savior and King. He will be called Prince of Peace and Emmanuel. This baby will change everything for all people for all time. Isaiah says the darkness is now. Light is what comes. There's meaning in both. Eugene Peterson described Luke as a champion of the outsiders. He's the only known non-Jewish author in the New Testament. And many of his stories of Jesus are about people who are at the edge of society. Outsiders, like the shepherds. They are unlikely messengers of God's glorious gift to the world. The shepherds are at home in the nighttime fields. They know the terrain and lay of the land. They know where to find safety, food, water, and shelter. They know how to lead their flock into the sheepfold and then lay down at the entrance, guarding it when it's time to sleep. My cotton farming, wheat-growing granddad knew every inch of every acre on his land. He started work long before sunrise, often continued past sunset, and he didn't need a flashlight to guide his way. His land was familiar, and he was at home in the fields. It was the same with these shepherds. They knew how to find their way in the dark. But this night was different. On this night, light broke through the darkness, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Luke says they were terrified when the night sky opened. An angel appeared to them and spoke a familiar Advent refrain. Do not be afraid. We know the ending of this story, so it's not frightening to us. But I wonder, would we have been afraid on that dark night? For me, the answer is yes, it would have been terrifying. Do not be afraid is God's way of assuring these chosen ones that in God's eyes, things are not always as they seem. For most of my life, I've struggled with fear afraid that I wasn't good enough, smart enough, or strong enough. I've worried many times that I wouldn't have the courage to be the wife, mom, daughter, sister, friend, teacher, 
minister that my life seemed to demand. I've been fearful of what others might think of my ideas, my theology, and my questions. At times, the fear has been paralyzing and caused some difficulties for me, and maybe even for some of you, because our lives are intertwined in beautiful, complex, messy ways. Every day, we're bombarded with information that encourages fear. We're afraid of what's happening in our country, in our government, at our borders, in our schools, in our families, in our homes. And with all the violence, conflict, and injustice that's around the world today, some of these fears are realistic because we all know that hard things exist in our lives and all around the world. And yet, through the Advent stories, God tells us, do not be afraid because I'm with you no matter what happens. God is with us when the light shines or when the darkness threatens to swallow us up. For some of us, walking in this building today took every bit of courage that we possess. The light of Advent helps us remember that as God's peace, we can find, that as God's people, we can find peace in spite of our troubles. We can do hard things. God's peace belongs to you. For others of us, today we're joyful and have happy spirits. God's peace belongs to you too. And if you find yourself living somewhere in between despair and joy, know that the light of God's peace is yours. The light of Advent proclaims that God is trustworthy, faithful, and ever-present through Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. The angel told the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. These fearful shepherds get a bold reminder from the heavens that God is in everything. The dark night cradles baby Jesus, and then the light of heaven breaks through, displaying all of God's glory. They are invited to witness the powerful relationship between darkness and light, surrounded by good news and great joy. What were they thinking when the heavens opened and the host of angels appeared? What did it sound like? What did the sheep do? How did the shepherds feel when the angel invited them to go find the baby? Did they have to convince each other to go into Bethlehem, or were they all ready for an adventure? It must have been disorienting for the shepherds as the sky closes, the angels return to heaven, and the skies turn dark once again. They might have been wondering in the dark, why us? Why did God choose us to seek out the baby and proclaim the good news? Was it because they were familiar with working in the dark? Or was it because that God knew this baby would someday be known as the good shepherd who was willing to leave his flock on heaven's errand? When children hear this story, someone always wonder what the shepherds did with the sheep. Did they go to Bethlehem with them? Or were they left behind in the fields? 
And I must tell you that it delights me to think about the sheep joining their procession to Bethlehem because that would have been one noisy, chaotic trip. Or did the shepherds entrust God to keep their flocks safe while they were about the work entrusted to them? They had, to, they had the courage to leave their fields and hurry to Bethlehem where they found the baby just as they had been told. It would have been interesting to listen in on their conversation with Mary about what had happened to them that night. Would she have been surprised? Children love to hear stories about when they were born, and Jesus probably grew up hearing about the shepherd's visit on the night he was born. Luke says Mary treasured all that happened, holding the experiences close in her heart. I wonder, though, did she know what was coming? Or was she and Joseph, like most new parents, wondering, what in the world are we going to do with this baby? After finishing their visit, Luke tells us the shepherds spread the good news about Jesus to everyone they saw, and everyone who heard it received it with amazement, rejoicing, and praising God. The shepherds began their journey to Bethlehem as recipients of good news. Then they became bearers of news that would change the whole world. When our daughter Lauren was born 35 years ago, Bob designed her birth announcement. It was a very clever piece of work and actually won the Best of Show Award in a regional advertising design competition. It was a fun way to share our family's exciting news. Good as it was, though, it doesn't compare with the shepherds. They were a living, breathing birth announcement. Advent offers, up, Advent offers us the opportunity to become bearers of the same good news of Jesus in our world today. How are we going to tell the story of Jesus at Highland, in Abilene, and around the world? My eight-year-old daughter, Tabby, asked a few questions last week as we were driving home one day. She said, how do we know these Bible stories are true? And how do we know if God is real? And she ended by asking, Mom, is it okay for me to be asking these questions? Yes, it's okay to ask hard questions. If we're honest with ourselves, most of us have had similar wonderings. My answer to her was that I can't really prove anything. Although oral and written stories from God's people pass through the generations and historical and archaeological discoveries offer us some evidence, we have to choose faith believing that God is with us, God sees us, God knows us with an everlasting, unchanging love. We choose to believe the writer of Hebrews who says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. The candles in our wreath are symbols of our faith in God's unconditional love. Each of you reflect God's love. And as a church, we call each other to live in hope and peace. This season of waiting reassures us that God dwells in both the darkness and the light. Advent holds the darkness, which cradles the light. People of God, do not be afraid. We stand up for the benediction, please. Friends, as you live in the hope and peace of God this week, remember that the light of the world was born in the dark. 
Love God with your whole heart as you love others, love and serve others in the name of Jesus. Go in peace today.